You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in week number two of a sermon series where we are going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. If you're new to Revolution Church, I say this before every sermon I do, what we like to do about 90, 95% of the time is go verse by verse uh, through books of the Bible or through large passages of Scripture. Uh, Last week, we opened up the book of Ephesians, and man, I tell you, it was an incredible opening as we took a look at verses 1 through 14 in chapter 1 at really what's known as the praise section of the book of Ephesians. Well, today, we're going to close down chapter 1, and we're going to go from verses 15 to verse 23, and we're going to take a look at, really, thanksgiving in verses 15 through 16 that Paul has, and then what's known as petition in verses 17 through 23 that Paul has. I read a story this week about the, uh, let me get the name right, the Tournament of Roses Parade in 1987. Uh, used to in the 80s and 90s, especially uh, these parades that they had on New Year's and for bowls and different things like that were really, really big, much bigger than they are now. And the Tournament of Roses parade was one of the biggest. Well, at the parade, one of the floats was broken down and it held the parade up for over an hour. And the reason it held the parade up and the reason it was broken down is because the float had run out of gas. Now, why that was so interesting is because the float was sponsored by one of the largest oil companies in America, Standard Oil. How does that happen? I don't know. Well, how does it happen with us as Christians when we are connected to and sponsored by the largest and really only power source that there is in the entire universe, Jesus Christ, but sometimes we feel like we're holding life up. We've run out of gas. Well, today, in the closing of Ephesians 1, you're going to see the remedy, the remedy for you if you're here today and you're a Christian and you feel like you're running on empty in a sense. And it comes in two different forms. It comes in thanksgiving and gratefulness that we have for people around us, for for Jesus, for everything in our lives. And then second, it comes through the prayers that we pray. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 15. Y'all with me? Say, I am. It says this, let's look at this thanksgiving portion, these first couple of verses. Paul says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. First, what Paul does is he says, I'm really thankful because the people in the church at Ephesus This city in Asia Minor, this church that he had planted, they have two attributes that Paul is like, you guys, these are the greatest, like I don't see this usually, these two attributes of you guys. The first one that he mentions is their faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Now we know the definition of faith. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We've heard that definition if you've been in church for any amount of time. I like the way one theologian, Clement of Alexandria, puts it. He says, and this is a simpler definition, faith is voluntary anticipation. Everybody say voluntary anticipation. Voluntary anticipation. In other words, you can't see what God's going to do, 
but you're believing and anticipating that he is going to do it. Kind of like when y'all come to a rev church and you have like a voluntary anticipation that I'm going to tell you like a killer joke that's just going to knock your socks off. Y'all know what I'm saying? Yeah, that wasn't real strong laughs, but how about a few jokes? Everybody ready? Say, I am. You know, my wife told me the other day that I have no sense of direction. And I just looked at her and said, where did that come from? You know, thanks for all the dad joke books and everything. Okay, y'all. You know, Halloween is this week, and there's only one thing that scares me during Halloween. I was telling Pastor Brandon that this week. and He looked at me and said, which is? And I said, exactly. Is it too early? Like this side over here going, what? I don't get it. Watch it back. You'll get it later. <laughs> As we were doing this expansion, I read a book on how to use a ladder, and it was a step-by-step guide, y'all. I'm telling you, step-by-step guide. I know, I know, I'm sorry. The worse it is, the better it is, okay, y'all? Do you guys know what the first rule of passive-aggressive club is? You know what, never mind. And then we'll like this one in Cross Vegas. My friend Joe went on the Dolly Parton diet. And you know what happened? It made Joe lean. Joe lean. Joe lean. We apologize if you're visiting. We know you're not coming back. We're sorry. Paul's thankful for their faith, this voluntary anticipation that they have that God is going to move in their midst. And really, as we're going to see as we go through this passage, he's really thanking God for their growing faith in Christ. In other words, he's thankful for the Christians in this city that are growing in trust and assurance about what they do not see. Now, Martin Luther, a great quote that he said one time is the true living faith, which the Holy Spirit instills into the heart, simply cannot be idle. This is the idea today. You're going to see that these people in Ephesus, they're growing in their faith. Secondly, though, he says, one of the things I'm thankful for is your love for all of God's people, your love for all of God's people. He doesn't just say, I'm thankful that you love your families. I'm thankful that you love your closest friends or your small group or your local church. He says, I'm thankful that you have a love for all of God's people. If he were to write this to Revolution Church today, uh, it would probably say something like, I'm really glad you guys don't just love the people at Revolution Church. I'm really glad you love all the people that go to the other 130 churches in Cumberland County. All the people that claim the name of Christ. In other words, I'm really glad as this hit home that you guys aren't making this a competition about who's the biggest, about who's the best, about who's got the better preacher, about who's got the better music, about who's got the better facility. You have a love for all of God's people. Now, let's continue in verse 17 and let's break up this passage that is one really long prayer that Paul prays for them And let's talk about a few different things that Paul's praying for in the lives of these believers. And 2,000 years later, really, he prayed for for us as well. Verse 17, y'all with me? Say, I am. Paul continues and says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, listen to these words, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Boy, what a good line. 
Know him. Everybody say, know him better. One, two, three. Know him better. Here's Paul's prayer, the first part of it. It's essentially, as I said in the previous points, I'm praying that you grow in your faith. And this is going to come about by Paul praying for two specific things. Number one, praying for a spirit of wisdom. Now, wisdom is defined as this. Let me give you a long definition and then a simpler definition. It's defined as the ability to take profound theological truths about God and apply them to everyday situations in life. I would define wisdom like this. It's a little bit simpler. Uh, Living a biblical life in a skillful manner. What does wisdom look like? I'm glad you asked. You remember we went through the book of James uh, about six months ago as a church. And in James chapter 3, verse 17, it tells us, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all purer, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So number one, he says, I want you to grow in your faith and I'm going to pray for a spirit of wisdom. And secondly, to get you to grow in your faith, I'm going to pray for what he calls a spirit of revelation. Now, when he says revelation, he's not just talking about the book of Revelation. I remember when I was a young Christian, I didn't understand what revelation really meant on the other side of just the book of Revelation. He's speaking of the unveiling of insight that can only come from the Holy Spirit. It's defined as this the ability to grasp the meaning of God's truths so that we comprehend his perspective on life and our circumstances. To put it simply, revelation means you see things in a spiritual sense, not just a natural sense, if that makes sense. You're looking at things through biblical eyes and spiritual eyes and understanding that there's so much more than just the natural world. That is revelation. Now, how do I get wisdom? How do I get revelation? Wisdom and revelation only come through consistent prayer and Bible study. Consistent prayer and Bible study. The idea is this. God speaks to us through Scripture, and we speak to Him through words of prayer. When this happens... This causes us to be wise and discerning in our lives, not clueless and ignorant. In other words, we're not running on empty. And even if we are running on empty, we have a better idea of why God has us running on empty. This is what causes us to walk as victors, not victims of our circumstances. This is what causes us when we start to grow in our faith and get wisdom and revelation We start to see as God sees, and we start to think as God thinks. And the result is we submit to Him, and we trust Him. Practically, this comes out, and listen to me, because I'm getting ready to explain something to you that if you've never heard it, it'll change your life if you'll grab a hold of it. This comes out as changes in your life. Changes like, There's less drama in your life when you get wisdom and revelation. Changes like you make better decisions. Changes like you become humble and you have the ability to listen to wise counsel, to people that love Jesus and love you, and they've been there and they've done that, and they give you warnings and you actually listen to it. Changes like, quite practically, you look completely different than the world around you. 
You don't look like the majority of the people around you because you have wisdom. You're growing in your faith. You have revelation. You're growing in your faith. Now, our first two values here at Revolution Church are know Jesus. We want people to know Jesus. Everybody say, know Jesus. Know Jesus. Secondly, we want people to find freedom. Everybody say, find freedom. That's really encapsulated in this verse when it says, we want people to know him better, that you may know him better. We recognize at Revolution Church, the greatest blessing anyone can ever experience is to know Jesus. Amen? But here's what Paul wants you to get. Another incredible blessing is for you to know him better every day. We believe that, especially in American Christianity, most Christians stop at knowing Jesus and they never move on to getting to know him better every day. Does that make sense to everybody say amen? In other words, uh, your faith essentially quit growing the moment you left the altar call where you got saved. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to where they don't just know Jesus, where they can find freedom in their life, make better decisions, get wisdom, get revelation, because they're growing in their faith and they're knowing Jesus better. Spurgeon said this, he said, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of a man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. I want to tell you guys this, listen to me. When it comes to you, getting, because remember, this is written to Christians, okay? The book of Ephesians is written to Christians. When it comes to you getting to know Jesus better, getting to know him better every day, Bible study, prayer, growing in wisdom, growing in revelation, the reality is there is no one that can force you to do this. You can have an incredible church with incredible programs and incredible teaching and incredible Bible studies and everything, but no one can force you to do this. There is a personal responsibility that every single believer has to get to know Jesus better every day. So my caution to you is, before you complain about the church, before you talk about the last five churches that hurt you, take a look in the mirror. Everybody look at your neighbor. Say, take a look in the mirror, baby. And I'm talking like I got to do this. I'm talking about that mirror. You know that mirror that your wife has in the bathroom? That's a double-sided mirror. And one side you look normal, but the other side it magnifies all the pimples and all the pores and all the crazy gray hairs you got on your face. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You got to take a look in that mirror. Because most of the time before there's something wrong with other people, with a church, with whatever, there's something wrong with us individually. And you might not be growing in your faith daily. You may have stopped growing the moment you left the altar call. My son played baseball this year, and he played in the spring and he played in the fall. And uh, it was the first time he ever played fast pitch, uh, little league baseball, where the players actually pitched. And he had played some softball before and some coach pitch, but it's completely different when you play baseball full speed. And so his rookie season was in the spring. And in the first several games that Titus played, who is my son, he's 12 years old, he was 11 then. Um, he was having to learn. He didn't know when to throw the ball the first. He didn't know 
like when you drop the ball and you're catching on the third strike, they can run to first and you got to throw it to first. He didn't understand any of the rules. And so he was making a lot of mistakes in that rookie season, all kinds of bad decisions, just because he had no clue, didn't know how to slide, didn't know how to do any of that stuff. Well, after that season was over, just three months later, he played fall ball. And the amount he had learned in his rookie season was incredible to the second season. In the fall, he was one of the most experienced kids on the team because there was a whole bunch of other kids that it was their rookie season in the fall. And he was having to tell them, this is when you run. This is when you throw. Hey, you can throw it to second base and then they can throw it to first base. And here's the rule and here's that. The problem with many of us as Christians is we stay in our rookie season. We stay in this place where we feel empty, even though we're supposed to be connected to Standard Oil, the power source. We, we feel like in our lives we're in this place where we don't know where to throw the ball. We don't know what to do. We don't know what decisions to make. What's the rules? And the reason is, is because we're not getting to know him more. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. There's more for you. There's more. Everybody say there's more. Really, the theme of Ephesians chapter one is there are more time to graduate from your rookie season. Let's continue in verse 18. Y'all still with me? Say I am. Paul continues and says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Second part of this prayer, Paul is praying for three specific things for every single Christian. He's praying for their calling. He's praying for riches, which we'll explain what that is. And he's praying for power. First, Paul says, I pray for the, as the scripture puts it, the hope of God's calling. Now, the main word in that phrase, don't let it confuse you, is the word calling. It's the doctrine known as the priesthood of the saints, or the idea that every single believer in Christ has a ministry or a calling on your life, something specific that God wants you to be involved in. Now, I didn't say every single one of us is going to be a pastor. We've established in Rev Church that the book of Timothy says not many people are called to be pastors, but every single one of us is called to be a minister. The word minister is a nursing term in the New Testament, and it's very clear that if you put your trust in Christ, there is a ministry that you are called to be a part of. Again, this comes out in one of our values here at Revolution Church. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to find freedom. And once those two things happen, we want to help you discover your purpose so that you can make a difference. In other words, discover your calling. This comes out in two different ways, your purpose or your calling. First, your calling, number one, is to live as a sold-out follower of Christ, to be the best Christian father you can be, to be the best Christian mother you can be, to be the best husband you can be, the best wife you can be, the best child you can be, the best employee you can be. We're praying that in your personal life, your everyday life, that there is generosity, that you have love, that you are patient, that you are caring that you are a witness for Christ. So that's number one. You've got to have number one to do the second part of your purpose, which is to mobilize with the church to spread the gospel around the world. Every single believer has a ministry that you're called to with another group of believers called the church in some way, shape, or form. The body of Christ. 
which in verse 22, we're going to see that Jesus is the head of the body. So number one, he prays, I pray you find your calling so you can find true fulfillment. And secondly, he prays for the riches of God's inheritance. Now, how many of y'all were here last week? Raise your hand if you were here last week. Okay, we talked about the inheritance last week uh, in, I believe it was verse 11 or 12, uh, last week. And the inheritance was essentially heaven. And we talked about how we use this as an example. This is our temporary home, not our final home, because our final home is heaven, and that is the inheritance that God gives every single one of us individually. But here, Paul is speaking about the inheritance that God has set up, not for us, but for himself. And what he's saying is, Christians are God's riches in heaven. And so it's not just about what we will inherit. What he's speaking of here is about what God has prepared for himself as an inheritance. And what God has prepared for himself as an inheritance are Christians, are people that love Jesus. You are, if you're a born-again believer, the inheritance that God is going to enjoy for eternity, the riches that he is going to enjoy for eternity. Isn't that crazy, y'all? Listen, Richard Koken puts it this way. God Almighty, who could have provided anything he wanted for his enjoyment in eternity, has chosen to enjoy forever with saved and sanctified sinners like us. That's crazy. Crazy. Remember last week we talked about how, and you see how this runs together, that we've been adopted. One of the reasons we praise God is because we've been adopted into his family. Look at your neighbor and say, you're adopted, baby. You're adopted. Adoption is something that is very close to our family's heart for several reasons. I remember one time somebody told me this. If you're adopted in here, I hope this uh, ministers to you. You know, when you have natural kids, you can't choose to keep them. You got to take them. But when you adopt someone, you're choosing to make them a part of your life forever. That's the idea here. God has made us his riches. He's chosen us. He wants to be with us. When you adopt a child, you're saying, I want to be with them. I want to take them. We've been adopted. We've been chosen into God's family. And we are his riches for eternity. Thirdly, he prays for incomparable great power in the lives of the church in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus. Incomparable great power. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because in the rest of this scripture, we're going to see Paul give four examples of why this power is so significant. But I will say this. The word for power here is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamic or dynamite. And we studied this pretty extensively uh, in our last series, Church on the Move, when we talked about how in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said that it's the power is going to come in us when we receive the Holy Spirit. And it's the same Greek word, a dynamic, dynamite type power is what is available to every single Christian under the sound of my voice. We do a word study on this word dunamis that means dynamic, and we find some descriptors. Let me just read a couple of the verses to you that gives us an idea of what really this means biblically. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing 
power, that's dunamis, is from God and not from us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I'm going to skip over a few verses up there in the booth. If they takes them a second, it's my fault. Okay, y'all, it's not their fault. So 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Y'all get that? My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power, dunamis, may rest on me. We get to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to study this in depth, but listen to verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his, say that word with me, church, power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Second Timothy chapter two or chapter one, verse seven. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us, guess what? Power, power, love and self-discipline. Every single believer in here, Paul wants us to get this. God wants us to get this. You have available to you as a result of the Holy Spirit inside you, a dynamic power. We talk about this all the time because if you can ever grab a hold of it, man, you'll charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. Amen, Rev Church. You have a power available to you that is dynamic. Now, as we go further in this scripture and we close down this chapter, we see Paul now give us four ways God's power was shown to us. Let's keep reading. Y'all with me say, I am. In the next verse, it says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. The same power that is able to accomplish incredible things in our life is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Number two, it raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is the power that has Jesus at the right hand of God. He is the perfect mediator between God and man. Jesus is the name above every name. That is the power that is available to you. Number three, he says, and God placed all things under his feet. This is the same power that made all things subject to Christ. In other words, Jesus has all authority. And number four, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul is saying this to the church in Crossville, Tennessee, in Cumberland County, to us specifically. He's saying, stop walking around like a wussy Christian. Does that offend you? Is everybody with me? Say amen. We already know you're not coming back. The jokes are so bad. Okay, we got it. Stop being a wimp and recognize you have a power inside you that God has given you to fulfill whatever calling you have. Whatever calling you have. I heard a story about a seminary professor. And I'm going to close with this. Y'all think I'm going to get done early? Say amen. Anybody think I'm going to get done? 
Nobody said amen. Y'all just laughed. Okay. I got done early last week, so. I heard a story about a seminary professor uh, that went to work at a college, and uh, this college was going to provide a house for him and his family to live in. He had a couple of kids, and they were going to provide a car for him to be able to get around in. Well, he gets to the seminary, cemetery, seminary. I can't remember which one it is. Sorry, that's a Freudian slip. Gets to the college, and they show him the house that they're going to let him live in, and he's like, wow, that's really cool. And then they show him the car. He gets in the car, and he tries to start it, and it won't start. But it was a clutch. So he had to be somewhere. So he had his kids come out and push the car down the driveway, and he popped the clutch. Does anybody know how to pop the clutch in here? I had a car one time that wouldn't start, and I had to pop the clutch almost every single time. You know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, a clutch is what I said last week. It's an anti-millennial theft device, okay, y'all? So if you're young in here, you've never used one, but uh, but we know what they are. Amen, y'all. Amen. That's my, that's my old, that's my more seasoned people. We don't call you old. You're just seasoned, okay? Got a little bit of that salt and pepper, right? And so... um. So he's driving this car, and it's a great car once he gets it started. But for two years, he drives it around, and every time he drives it somewhere, he has to park it on a hill to make sure he can pop the clutch. And every morning he wakes up to go to work, he's got to get his kids out in the driveway to push the car so that it'll start. Well, a couple years go by, and he gets hired by another college, and another professor comes in to take his spot. He's going to live in the same house. He's going to drive the same car. So he shows this new professor around the house. Cool. And then he goes to show him the car and he says, hey, this is a great car, but there's one thing about it. Uh, You have to pop the clutch to get it started because it just won't start. Well, this new professor had a background as a mechanic. He pops the hood really quick and he recognizes there's one cable that's not connected. He connects the cable He gets in the car, and he starts it right up. One cable was disconnected, and it would have started right up. I believe that figuratively, metaphorically, that's a perfect descriptor of many Christians in America today. Call it lukewarm Christianity. You can call it whatever you want. There's so many of us that are painstakingly going through things that we don't need to go through. We're pushing the car down the hill to pop the clutch, in other words. All you need to do is recognize you've got a cable that is disconnected, man. You're not plugged in somewhere. Your quiet time never happens. You're not leading your family in the ways of God. You're not plugged into a church. You bought into the lie that the enemy sold so many people in America that you don't need religion and you don't need the church or maybe you've got legitimate church hurt. You went to a crazy church at some point in your life and they treated you bad and you gave up on the church. And and God today hopefully is saying to you, hey, it's time to get back connected. It's time to get back connected. No need to push the car up the hill anymore. Just get connected. Maybe you're here this weekend and you've never even been started. You're just not connected to Christ. 
you've never been connected to Christ. Maybe you've got dead religion. You've went to church. Hey, we're in Crossville, Tennessee, y'all. Everybody's a Christian. Everybody goes to church. Everybody said a prayer at the altar call. Everybody's been baptized a couple times. But you, you're not connected to Jesus. Hopefully what God's saying to you today is you need to surrender everything to Christ. And be saved. And be saved. Amen, Rev Church? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Once again, I thank you for the Bible. It's so good. I thank you that our church just goes verse by verse through to learn your truths and they speak to us. I really believe, praying this week, that there are so many people here this weekend that know you, but they're not getting to know you better every day. Lord, I pray that people take their next steps, that they grow in their faith, that you give us all a spirit of wisdom spirit of revelation that can only come through time spent with you, listening to you through your word and talking to you through our prayers. God, I pray that we all recognize that we have a calling, that God has more for us to fulfill us than just to come to church. Every person in here, no matter their background, no matter their age, no matter what their baggage is, that you have a calling for them. I pray, God, that people walk into that calling. I pray that we recognize how much you love us. You decided we were going to be your riches forever in heaven. And that you've given us power to walk in the spirit and to do what you've called us to do. Once again, God, I just want to close today by thanking you for this facility that you've given us, this temporary home that you've given us. Here on earth, we love you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, you better say amen. I got done eight minutes early. Amen, y'all. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.